welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. The Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And if the co-hosts could keep track of the different countries, that would be terrific. Okay. Okay, everyone. I'm Harvey Asher, so sexaholic. And I've been sober 36 years and seven months. Of all the coincidences, someone out of nowhere texted me this morning. How did you stay sober for 36 years and seven months? And um, actually, he gave me more sobriety than I really had. And um, I wrote him back, tune in to this because that's the topic we're going to be on today. Um, This is not a usual approach. This is not a classic essay meeting. This is a get together of us, especially with questions and answers. It also is not usual because as many of you know, I don't use notes and I never prepare my talks, and I never write them down, and I just pray beforehand, God, you talk for me if you have something for me to say. And then I get a chance to hear what I need to hear and what comes out of my mouth. But this is a different format which I'm still a little uncomfortable with. (laughs) And that's where over the years, I have written many articles for the essay. And what I'm doing is reading to you the article. Some of them go back almost 20 years. And I'm reading the article and not commenting on anything I'm reading, except where it gives a different sobriety date. And then I leave it up to you to ask me questions, and I'll do my best in answering them. So here I go, reading my own article. This article was printed, I think, in uh, 20, yes, 2011. 
and it's a little longer than my other articles. So here I go. It seems like only yesterday that my old friend and sponsor, Jess L., shared with me a wonderful story. He said there once was a world-famous football team that had, a, had so many successful seasons year after year. One year, however, things were not going well for the team. They were certainly not playing their best. Their famous, well-respected coach felt it was time to intervene. During the halftime of one of their worst games, he announced that he wanted to talk to them, to the whole team in the locker room. When the players were all assembled, he said, guys, you know we are not doing well this season. There is a very simple solution to get us back on track. We need to get back to the basics. He then reached down, picked up a football, and in a loud and sonorous voice, he said, this is a football. Over my years in SA, I have observed the struggles of so many members in remaining sober. I have often thought that many of our problems are related to not grasping the basics of this very simple program. As it was with that football team, I think many of us need to be told today, this is a football. I would like to share with you the basis, the basics I use for my program on a daily basis. These are the footballs that I must use to stay sexually sober. These basic tools have worked for me for more than 30 seven years. Now it's 36 years and seven months. Same basics. Number one, I believe I have a disease. This disease is called sexaholism. As the white book says, looking at our sexaholism in terms of addiction seems to be a useful way to begin to look at ourselves. That's from the essay book, page 29. As Dr. Silkwood says in the doctor's opinion, the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. The phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience 
the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. I am not bad getting good. I am sick getting well. Willpower will not stop this disease. Only a power greater than myself can relieve me from my malady. In AA book, page 43, more about alcoholism hammers this home. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power, AA, page 43. Number two, I acknowledge I am powerless over lust. As we read in the white book, the sexaholic has lost control, no longer has a power of choice, it is not free to stop. Page three. I cannot pretend to be able to control and enjoy life. Lust, it has no place in my life today. Number three, I work my essay program just one day at a time. The concept is beautifully portrayed in the story Alcoholics Anonymous number three. The man in this story said to Dr. Bob, as Dr. Bob and Bill W. were visiting him in the hospital. In quotes, yes, doc, I would like to quit at least for five, six, or eight months until I get things straightened up and begin to get the respect of my wife and some other people back and get my finances fixed up and so on. And they both left very heartily and said, that's better than you've been, you've been doing, isn't it? Which of course was true. They said, we got some bad news for you. It was bad news for us and will probably be bad news for you. Whether you quit six days, six months, or years, if you go out and take a drink or two, you'll end up in the hospital, tied down, just like you have been in these past six months. You are an alcoholic. The next question they asked was, you could quit for 24 hours, can't you? I said, yes, anybody can do that for 24 hours. They said, that's what we're talking about. Just 24 hours at a time. Every time I start thinking about drinking, I would think of the long, dry years ahead without having a drink. But this idea of 24 hours, that was up to me from then on, was a lot of help from page 
187 of the AA book. Number four, I clearly understand what sexual sobriety is and is not. I cannot pretend to be sober while participating and practicing any kind of self-stimulation with or without an orgasm. See my article on what is sex with self. Best of Essay, Practical Recovery Tools, page 13. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Number five, my disease lives in my brain. I cannot trust my thinking to get out of my disease. My best thinking got me into this mess I was in. I therefore need to rely and work closely with my sponsor and with other members of the fellowship to help me avoid sinking into stinking thinking. Number six, I make a daily surrender to a caring God who loves me. God loves me so much that he watched all the crazy things I did in my disease and brought me to the program anyway. That's the God I believe in today. Number seven. Oh, is this important? <laughs> Number seven. I am very explicit in my sharing my lust temptations with program members. As the white book says, lust hates the light and flees from it. It loves the dark recesses of my being. And once I let it lodge there, it's like a fungus and starts flourishing. The athlete's foot of the soul. But as soon as I bring it to the light, exposing it to another recovering sexaholic, the power it has over me is broken. Light kills lust. I did this with specific experiences, not generalities. page 160 of the essay book. When I surrender a lust temptation to my sponsor or other program members, I do not hide behind generalities like, I was lusting today. I say exactly what I was thinking. I do not filter my behavior to make it sound more acceptable. I say it as I thought it. If my sponsor or others cannot deal with it, then I need to find someone else in the program who can hear what I was thinking. I try to practice my sharing with the phrase, I am going to be explicit now. Of course, I also need to be willing to listen to others' lust temptations. I usually say a prayer so that I don't take in their loves. When people share with me explicit material, I pray, 
God, let me hear this with your ears. Number eight, there's no room for sexual fantasy in my life. My sponsor would say, the first thought is on God. The next thought is on you. What do I do with that first thought? Do I let it progress into a motion picture or do I use the tools that I have learned in the chapter Overcoming Lust and Temptation on page 157, 168? One day at a time, I choose to use these tools to prevent the first frame of lust thought from turning into a motion picture. Number nine, we're getting to the end. I make a gratitude list every day. I especially like to do this in the morning to prevent my enemy, self-pity, from sneaking back into my life. Self-pity means I am back to self. I am I-centered rather than God-centered. When I feel sorry for myself, I am forgetting all the wonderful gifts God has given me. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. AA book, page 62. Number 10, I avoid situations that can be lust triggers for me. I review movies before I watch them so as to screen out ones that would cause me discomfort and I try to avoid certain TV programs. Number 11, I am careful to not lest lust into my marriage relations. I wrote more about this, what about sex and marriage, in essay June 2011, and that will be next week's article. What about sex and marriage? Number 12, I try to live the steps one day at a time. The steps cannot be part of my life. They are my life. Working steps 10, 11, and 12 as my maintenance steps is of utmost importance for me. I must promptly admit when I am wrong. I must be faithful in seeking conscious contact with God and I must carry the message of my recovery. Last but not least, number 13. I participate in a great deal of service work. It is only by giving it away that I can keep what I have. This is stated eloquently in The Family Afterwards, page 128 to 129 in the AA book. Like a gaunt prospector, belt drawn in over the last ounce of food, our pick struck gold, joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold. For a time, he may try to hug the new treasure to himself. He might, might not see it once that he has barely scratched limited, limitless load, which will pay dividends only if he minds it for the rest of his life and insists on giving it away 
the entire product. A8, page 128. My last paragraph. Do I do any of the above perfectly? No. I do them conscientiously and to the best of my ability. And these basic principles have worked for me more than 36 years and seven months. I know they can work for others also. These are my basics. These are my footballs. Let's all continue to recover as the champions we are. Questions and answers. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, so we have a question that came straight in on chat, and I'll, I'll ask it. Meanwhile, if anyone wants to ask a question, please go ahead and uh, raise your hand in the app if you want to ask Harvey directly. Um, you, uh, most people should be uh, familiar right now with Zoom how to do that. Um, the question, Harvey, is I, I, I believe in the program, and I'm convinced that I'm powerless over lust. How come I keep thinking that I can deal with it? I've been in the program for eight years now, and I keep on relapsing. Am I simply not completely convinced that I'm powerless? What should I do? You're in my, this is only my opinion. I'm not talking for FSA. You've left out the second part of the first step. We talked about it a few weeks ago, last week. People forget they're insane. What is insanity? Insanity is repeating the same thing over again and expecting different results. So our insanity is whispering to us all the time. You can handle it this time. This time it will be different. Most people run away from that second part of the first step. They think it says unmanageable, which it does, but it's really a nice way that Bill says we're insane because the second step, the second step says we're being restored to sanity. Okay? So, until you can get in touch with your insanity, you're going to have trouble getting the first step. If the first step were only that first part, <laughs> we were powerless, that would be half as easy, but it's not. It's the whole thing. I suggest to my sponsees, they write one side of a page to prove to themselves how insane they are. You can't ask a power, whatever that means, greater than you, to restore you to sanity if you don't believe you're insane. So let me give you an example. The big book does it beautifully. The jaywalker. The jaywalker. He keeps running in front of cars, thinking this time he could do it okay. 
The other example in the in the chapter is the guy who thinks if he puts the <laughs> puts the liquor in the milk, he can handle it. Those are all the forms of insanity. Until you get in touch with how much insanity is still in you. I still have insanity. I keep watching political programs and then I get all upset. I say, why do you keep doing that, Harvey? Yes, I'm insane. I think this time I can handle it. See, this is an incurable disease. Someone once called it a jello mold. You push on one side, it pushes out on the other side. Okay? So I'm never going to be cured of my entire insanity, but I keep getting better than I used to be. As my sponsor would say, Harvey, you're better than you used to be, but not as well as you're going to get. Does that kind of answer that question? Well, it was a typed question, so. Okay. I, um, yeah, Next he said question, it does. Please. Okay, Israel, Israel R, or as we call him in Israel, Israel Raish. Go ahead. Right. Hi, I'm Israel uh, from Israel, and I'm a good person. And hi, Harvey. Um, happy to hear you, fine to see you also. And hopefully you will not disappear in the next hour. Um, yes, the question is that you re when uh, when you repeat, I mean, when I repeat things and doing it over and over again, uh, there is some. I don't know. I don't sure if I will say it in English right. But there is some situation of burnout. I mean that you that you don't feel the things that you say. I mean, I mean, you know, you play the game because you you're supposed to say this thing because you're an SA member and you and you and you not really believe in this because you say it too much. Okay, I mean maybe you have some advice. I mean I feel personally that I'm losing this SA shine, you know, in my eyes and uh, and. Uh, you know that I re repeatedly think, uh, say the things, and I know everything. I I think that I know everything, <laughs> actually not. But I, uh, you know, maybe some advice just to to bring it back. You know, this, if, I, uh, if I don't keep moving ahead in this program, you don't stay where you are. You go backwards. So I'm always having to fine tune my program. And I'll give you an hopefully a few examples. These articles I wrote, most of these were written on my birthdays in SA. It never says it in any of this. But what's the one, two things I don't like? One is writing, because I'm dyslexic. It's a real effort for me. 
The other is sexual abstinence. It's not my favorite thing. <laughs> but you do it, right? Sometimes. I so relate with you, Avi. So relate with you. Or both of them. Now, you just saw the antidote for insanity. Laughter. Laughter. This is, I keep doing this. This is what my sponsor 35 years ago had me buy. A clown. He said, Harvey, your behavior, your crazy antics. He said, what do you do when you see a clown do crazy antics? You learn to laugh. Chances I, don't, I don't need this clown. I have a mirror. The what? He has a mirror, he said. He doesn't need the clown. I have a mirror. I don't need this clone. I have a mirror to look at. <laughs> so, if in your heart you're not saying, I'll give you a better example. Even though I'll be 81, I, past few years, I, I weight lift. If you stop weightlifting, not only don't you grow your muscles, it tends to shrink up. So you're going to have to say to yourself, how can I shift gears? That's why I have years ago, my sponsor 35 years ago, 36 years. The next question is from Nora T in Egypt. Go ahead, Nora. Thanks. Um, you can hear me, right? Yeah, we hear you great. Okay, thanks. Um, so um, my question is about sharing explicitly. Um, I heard you heard me talk about this countless times, and I'm just really grateful for that. And I just um, tried that last time I talked to my sponsor. Uh, um, I was sharing with her my recent lust temptation, and uh, I just started by saying that I'm going to be explicit. And I was so afraid I even talk about that, but um, she she interrupted me and told me that I'm I'm almost the only person you don't have to think when you're gonna share explicitly with, and I was so grateful she said that. But what surprised me is that, is that I, I stopped. I, I'm, I didn't really share. I just gave her a, like, I don't know, a, a simple review of what I'm really sharing. But my question is, I find that sharing explicitly is triggering me. And um, yes, it has a lot to do with that. I'm scared I'm going to affect the person I'm sharing that with. But the thing is, it it just somehow does something to me to hear myself saying things explicit. So I hope this makes sense. Yeah, you just don't do it then. If it's there's this old saying: if whenever 
in medical school and other places. Whenever you go like this and it hurts, stop doing it. So if it's hard for you to share explicitly right now, that's okay. Where it doesn't work is when people will call a lot of people and say, I've had a rough day today. I've been lusting all day. And they wonder why it's not going away. It's not going away because they haven't told anyone what they're really thinking. If yours goes away as soon as you share, generally go for it. There, there, this is not a, um, a religion where we have to do it certain ways. <laughs> I think we have a question. Yeah, I, I, there's a question that came in, just an interesting one, um, came into the chat to everyone. Um, Jared asked, that, um, are, are we what we are called, are, are we what are called sinners, as the White Book says? And this, this is a quote from page 168, where Roy says, I myself am what could be called a sinner, in, 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 in inverted commas, but I take from God the power I do not have in myself to transcend my sins. Well, if we use the original word, the Hebrew word where that came from, it is an archer's term. You're missing the mark with your bow and arrow. You're missing the mark. So if it makes you happy calling it a, a sinner, go for it. It's awful for me. Never worked for me. Oh, I'm such a sinner, God. Take it, take it. I'm just a terrible sinner. Never worked for me. Once I said, God, thank you for bringing me to SA. Thank you for letting me know I have this disease and that you have brought me from your love to the place I could get medication for my disease. Then I started getting recovered. The sin model did not work for me. If it works for you, go for it. Whatever works for you, go for it. But most people, it doesn't work for them. SA has a tremendous amount of relapsing. And as I shared the other day, my belief is because most people in our program never accept the disease model. The basic text is the AA book, that first 164 pages, and you're going to read very little about sin in there. And what do we call a lot of these things? We call them character defects natural instincts that have gone wild because of my disease. And if you want to talk about a four or five-year-old like me being a sinner by four or five before I even knew what sex was, and I was doing all kinds of things and seeing things and addressing people, go for it. But 
No. I don't believe at that age I was purposefully sinning. Didn't even know what the concepts are by three or four. But this is only my opinion, not an essay as a whole. I don't talk for essay. I'm just telling you how I've stayed sober and the basics I've used. And it goes back to the one I read, that I have a disease. And that I'm sick getting well, not bad getting good. And what's the proof of it? Once I started taking my medication, every day I stopped doing some of that behavior. I didn't have to lie and cheat and steal and fornicate and commit adultery. Isn't it a coincidence that as soon as I started taking the medicine for a disease, and I would say if a diabetic is driving a car and for whatever reason their insulin was too much that day and they get into a car accident and they hurt someone, would we call that person a sinner? Maybe you would. We'd say, oh my God, what a mess. The poor woman or man had a hypoglycemic experience and hurt someone in his car from crashing. Or if you have epilepsy and you don't know you have it and you're driving, do we call that disease a sin? Now remember, I'm talking to deaf ears because we cannot get away from the programming in our brains. It's almost impossible. Years and years of being programmed that were bad getting good. And people will get so tense from my saying this. And I just say, go for it. If you want that other model, go for it. But I have not seen it work effectively for alcoholism or any addiction. Now, can you get better in religion from addictions? Many people do. But I'm not one of them. So it's not that it can't happen, it just doesn't work for me. I need a medical model. Because I'm a real sexaholic. Okay, next one. Yes, yeah, so we have a bunch of questions. We have like five, eight, six, seven, eight questions piling up. So we're going to try and get to everyone if we can. We're going to do our best. The next one is from Danny here in Israel. Go ahead, Danny. Thank you, Daniel T, for your service, and thanks, Harvey, for the awesome talks. Um, my question is on item number six, daily surrender to a caring higher power. 
I myself had a lot of trouble with the caring higher power like idea. My higher power was very aloof and distant um, and not caring at all. And I had to work very hard. What? And thank God I'm like a lot, lot, lot better on that count. I have today, I do have a loving, caring higher power. What do you recommend for that process of coming out of the negative higher power towards a good one? It's impossibly difficult. I have such a loving higher power, but that other higher power, that tyrant or Santa Claus, the give me, give me, give me God, or the God who I had was going to punish me by killing my children in car accidents. And I'd wait up for them all evening before I got in recovery. Do you know that God still comes back to my mind? But the difference today is I say, God, please take that thought away. I do certain religious rituals every six mornings a week. And one day I was rushing out of the house. And on the way out, I realized I forgot to do it. And the next thought in my mind was God's going to make the stock market go down because I didn't do it, and I will end up being in poverty at my old age. And that fear consumed me, and I stood still, and I prayed. I said, God, I can't go back that old way. God, help me not go back and do that ritual this morning. And I didn't do it. And the next morning, I started doing it again. But not out of fear. My sponsor would say, who is of a different religion, he would say, Stop doing these things out of fear and that superstition. Do it as a gift to God. Do your rituals as a gift to God, not as this fear issue of this tyrant sitting on a throne waiting, a, a being that's beyond time and space. And what do we do? We have taken the Greek and Roman mythology and converted it to this God on a throne ready to throw lightning bolts at us. Maybe it's true, but I can't handle that one because it just makes me act out even more. What's next? Um, trying to go as much as possible in order of how they came. So there's also messages that came in. Uh, the question was, how did you or do you stay sober when you don't have the full desire or pure motives to? Coming from someone who's struggling with a lot of resistance to the program and lacking the will at times. 
I don't know that answer because there. I'd rather die today than go back there. I am convinced it's poison. I have stopped living in euphoric reef call where the memory stops at the orgasm. You stop the memory at the orgasm. You don't tell the whole story. What happens after the orgasm? You just remember half the story. Well, if it was so great after the orgasm, then what the hell are you in this program for? But we don't think through the first drink as they teach in AA. We don't remember how we wanted to get away from the person afterwards quite often. We don't remember the smells. We don't remember the cost, the lying afterwards. We just get the euphoric recall. It took years for me. Every euphoric recall I had to tell myself the whole story. The whole story. So it's amazing what the brain is like. We think it's loaded with all these stories, all these memories, but there are really a limited amount it keeps repeating. And over the years, all those stories, I ended up being able to remember when that excitement hit me, the flash, the memory, and then you feel it in your body. I was able to say, yeah, Harvey, but that was only half the story. It's like people who drink and they forget the hangover the next day. It's a forgetting disease. The other problem is my sponsor taught me that God gives us, gives the world this gift that we don't remember pain. Or women would never have a second child. It's a gift. So what happens for us, we forget the pain of what happens after the orgasm. And so we get stuck in the euphoric recall. Okay? Okay, Uri in Israel. Go ahead, Uri. Thank you. Hey, I'm Uri, I'm a sexolic here from Israel. Hey, thank you, Harvey. Uh, my question is, I will speak slowly because my English is not well enough. My question is, I uh, experienced that I have, uh, I'm uh, sober for uh, one year and, uh, and six months. And I'm experienced lost pump to my head as a farm graph or things like this. And from time to time, like uh, 
it's happened to me every few weeks that instead of uh, calling to a friend and uh, telling in details what what I am uh, what I'm doing what I'm thinking and to pray uh, to God to help me and uh, uh, blessing those uh, memory for people I starting to get mad about myself and that causing me even more lost I'm seeing that I'm getting back to this uh, old uh, way that I used to have before I got to the program to mad about myself and my question is I believe I am I am a sick man I believe I'm not uh, a bad man and I believe God brings me to a say uh, and sees like you said sees the the things I did and care me to bring me to a say but once in a while it still came back that thought that if I beat myself up or uh, mad about myself, I will, it will happen. And then it just hurt me. Do you have experience or something, something I, that can help? I have a special prayer I make when an average, a crazy thought hits my mind. I say, thank you, God, for reminding me I'm still sick. Thank you, God. The danger in this program is not remembering you're sick. It's thinking you're cured and you're well. As long as you remember you're sick, you're going to have a chance for recovery. But most of the time, the people who relapse, who get a little time on their hands, think, well, I haven't had a less thought in a long time. I'm cured. I can take a little first look. It's not going to... And the second look, it's not going to hurt. I've been okay for a while. Okay, um, next question. Uh, it's up to you how much uh, after the hour you want to go, but we'll keep asking until you say what you've had enough. Next question is from Marcus. Go ahead, Marcus. Thanks. Hey, Harvey. Uh, grateful to be here. Thank you for uh, recording these speaker um tapes of your articles. My question is, um, you know, I remember hearing you share during the reading of the big book and the family afterward that God has given us doctors and medical professionals and, you know, to, to not deny their help. And in regards to my program and some of the alleviation of anxiety of self-loathing, of all these accompanying symptoms, you know, thinking I'm still, you know, filled with shame. What point do you recommend when you're talking with a sponsee to seek additional help for any accompanying underlying mental illnesses potentially, like high anxiety or, you know, because I know the program won't solve all my problems, the spiritual principles of the program, asking for help, but I don't want to be too, um, I don't want to be the guy that just goes to the doctor and wants to get on depression pills just because I'm, you know, newly sober and, oh my God, I'm not getting my drug. So when do you recommend seeking additional help in regards to those potential mental illnesses accompanying sexaholism? If you've done your steps rather quick, 
quickly and you're staying sober and you're not getting the joy of living is your thing, I'd get to a doctor as soon as possible. Okay. Thank you. Many, many addicts have dual diagnosis. Just works that way. And if you're staying sober for months and you're, you've worked your steps and you feel comfortable and you're using a sponsor, um, no, honey, Nan, it's not working with the door closed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're, then I certainly would be the same way if you had a bad cough. <laughs> and it didn't eventually go away. Yeah. Many people in the program are on medication. Now, I'm going to give a little shocker for people who have had, who have been sincere working their program, doing their steps, and they've been to treatment and they've had all kinds of help and they keep relapsing and their life gets worse and worse, I suggest they get chemically castrated for a while. And I have watched miracles in this program for people who have accepted that their disease is so advanced that they're going to die from this disease. And some a lot of those people have done very well getting the, for men, the hormone that helps them. Now, I'm not recommending it. I'm recommending the evaluation for it. Nobody should recommend, I think, in the program to, too many things. But we could just say, from our experience, strength and hope, there have been people who have done much better, who keep relapsing, who get rested, who keep coming down with venereal diseases, uh, they, some of these people benefit from hormonal castration. Meaning what the AA book says, you seek medical advice. Yeah. Harvey, someone asked what is hormonal uh, castration? They, for men, they give a, uh, like a female hormone and it decreases the desire. I didn't know how it was working. And one person who had tried killing themselves um, quite a few times and finally he got on and I said, what's the difference? What helped you? He said, I still get the same thoughts at times, but now I have a moment in time where I could use the tools of the program. Before, whenever the thought came, it was instantaneous. I had to act out. Uh, I was on it for a half 
I was on it for a couple of years ago, five years ago, and I was sober in that time because I was the market program. But then I relapsed even though with the with the lupron shot. So my doctor advised me that it doesn't help because an addict has to work a 12 step program, go to therapy, take medication, and work a really good 12 step program. And that's an interesting point that a lot of times people will say, I relapse and I'll say, oh, did the doctor cut your dose down? <laughs> a lot of times people do so well that they start getting their dose. Now, I'm not recommending this. I'm just sharing with you the calls I get and what happens. And um, I don't feel at liberty to tell you other people's stories right now. Um, yes, next question. Yeah, let's start here from Sona in Iran. Thank you. Hi, Harvey. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Hi, Harvey. Thank you for giving you time. The most precious thing in the world. Uh, my question is uh, to get uh, uh, get back to sanity and be free because um, uh, free is not where there are no triggers. The main question is on your 10th uh, uh, principle. You said we should be away from this, what? Sorry. I can't really hear you. You're breaking up every few words. If I could, I think if I can just catch it, she's talking about how to get free, uh, free and and serene or sober, and she's asking about um, your tenth point in your essay, which is about avoiding things that could be lust triggers for me. Um, but that's the. Uh huh. That's the Yes, uh, you know, th this question is because uh, I'm dubious about being in mixed groups, missed WhatsApp groups or not. My sponsor is strongly against that. Uh, I'm four months sober, but uh, I talked to uh, some old timers um, and they said, this is jail you are making for yourself. Uh, and uh, free is where you are triggered and free to stay sober. Uh, and in addiction, triggers are dangerous because we give in to them. In recovery, triggers are safe because we do not give in to them. Uh, what's your suggestion to me? Uh, and my main, main problem... Yeah. I... <laughs> Should thy own self be true? Uh -huh. If trigger is too much for you, then you you avoid it. Eventually it might get better. But other people can't tell me about my disease details. So I have something in my sobriety definition 
because, you know, I do it with women and men. And the one of my triggers are nudity. And so my bottom line is I cannot go into a health club, into the shower room where other men are showering. Now, no one I know has that as a bottom line sobriety. And for most people, it's no problem. But I had to be honest with myself. Yes. I have a, a had a sponsee, still my sponsee, for about four years later. But he was shocked that I watch movies. Well, I watch movies, but I screen my movies. If it has nudity, I don't watch it. So some people watch any movie. So we have to be careful. Stamping, we call it. In, in America, rubber stamping. It's like making cookies and thinking every piece of cake needs to look the same way. It doesn't. I know what's dangerous for me. Now, what your sponsor is saying that has a lot of truth to it is the trigger is not the danger. It's the power I give to the trigger, okay? I, because my, one of my triggers is on my own body. Have to go to the bathroom, it's there. <laughs> but I've had to learn ways to not see it, etc. So, it's to thine own self be true. Eventually, triggers lose a lot of their power if my motive is good. Now, for years, I did not go down to my city center alone. It was too much of a trigger for me. Eventually, I was able to do it. Okay? Thank One you. Can I have time to explain next, a little bit? Next question, please. Uh, okay. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Okay. So just to point out the time to you, Harvey. Again, it's ten past. But um, the, yeah, uh, the next question. Yeah. There's some questions. There's three, four more, and then we could okay, end. Fine. And so feel free to leave when you want. I've got a few. Um, Why don't we do the serenity prayer? close and then whoever wants to stay around and ask some questions can okay we could do but then we won't have them on recording and it would be a shame but whatever you want you're in charge no what's that we won't have them then on recording we won't have the uh, questions and answers recorded if, if we do that but again it's up to you we can no well why can't we do the serenity prayer and then continue the recording okay let's do that then okay Hundred percent. So the new restrictions introduced on our move to the national grant me the serenity and accept the things I cannot change. Things I cannot change. Things I can. 
For all those who need to leave, thank you for coming. Next week, we will be talking on sex and marriage. It is open to anybody, and you don't have to be married to come. And also, I wanted to mention that the essay is coming out at the end of this week, and there's a brand new essay from Harvey in that, which which is a, a great essay talking about the daily actions that Harvey takes every day, um, which is kind of a, a similar but different theme to the Back to Basics essay that you wrote. Daniel, Daniel is very kind. The article is Growing Older as a Sexaholic. <laughs> that I'm still a sexaholic after almost 37 years and I'm almost 81 and it's still live and well and I need my steps and my work. <laughs> you don't outgrow sexaholism. <laughs> okay. So there was a question that came in a private that said, um, uh, is it possible to stay sober if my spouse is not aware of my addiction? I didn't get it. Is it possible to stay sober if my spouse is not aware of my addiction? I wrote an article <laughs> on living a double life. So many people continue to live a double life in recovery. I wish you well, but I've not seen it be very helpful because you're really not changing. You're continuing to lie either out of omission or you got to lie when you leave the house to go to a meeting or you're lying when you're speaking to your sponsor. Um, in two weeks, I will ask people if they want a few more articles, and that will be one of the, the articles called Living, um, it's Letting Go of My Secret Life. People have difficulty with the concept of the simple truth. They think when they tell someone they're an essay, they have to say their whole story. My sponsor used to say we either lie or we get diarrhea of the mouth. We either say nothing or we say too much. And he taught me the concept of the simple truth. So I will give you an example of that. We went to speak at the, or at a conference in Salt Lake City where people, many Mormons live. And we went to the Mormon Tabernacle. It's a magnificent structure. And we took a tour and the tour guide said to me, after the tour, to Nancy and me, why are you here in Salt Lake City? And I said the simple truth. I'm here 
at a conference. He then said, oh, what kind of conference? And I said the simple truth, a recovery conference. There was a whole group of people around. He then said, what kind of recovery conference? I said the simple truth, a 12-step recovery conference. He then said, what kind of 12-step recovery conference? And in a loud voice, I said, Sexaholics Anonymous. And he said, thank God, I have a friend who's been having so much problems and we cannot find the telephone number of any meetings here in Salt Lake City. And I was able to give him a number. I did the simple truth. I do it with my family with my daughter-in-laws, with my in-laws, with neighbors. When we were living in Nashville, my neighbor, after a few years, said, you're either going to Australia, you're going here, you're going to Poland. You're going... Why do you go to all these places? And I shared with her. What I usually share is I had a problem with lust. And for religious people, I suggest they say, oh, I have a problem where I want my brain to be as pure as my everyday life. He actually said that he's made up with his therapist that um, about a month ago that going forward, if she asks, he's going to be honest with her, but she hasn't asked anything since then. Uh, Daniel, you'll have to speak louder. I can't hear you. I, I was just responding that he's, he's made up, the, the person who asked the question has made up with his therapist that he's not going to be dishonest anymore. And if she asks him anything about the program, he's going to tell her. But since then, he ha she hasn't actually asked anything. There's a very important question... Uh, response, very important response. I, I won't tell you the whole story, but my son and his girlfriend years ago, he's now been married twice and has kid, but my son and his girlfriend asked me, why was I an SA? And I told him, I simply told him, I told him, uh, my qualifier, that I'm an essay because I feel I was born this way and that I was uh, sexually abusive to their mother at frequency, that I was a chronic masturbator and that I was promiscuous both with uh, men and women, but predominantly men. And I hushed up. And I said, and a dead silence. And then I said, is there anything else you'd like to ask? 
And he started to cry, this grown man, and said, Dad, I want to tell you how proud I am of what you've done with your life. The next year, we were on a trip, and he started asking me, did you have sex with this man? Did you have sex with this man? Did you do this? I answered a few of his questions. And then he asked me another one. And I said, Seth, I'm getting too uncomfortable sharing anymore. And so I'm not going to share anymore. The simple truth. I was getting too uncomfortable. The simple truth does not mean I'm obligated to say everything I've done. We had a man in Nashville early on, and he's still tons of recovery now, but he went to the Titans Football League to the team to give his story. start telling them how he would use IV drugs and Robitussin while masturbating and how he'd pass out and they'd have to take him to the hospital. It was too much for the team. <laughs> he gave them more information than the team wanted in the football team. <laughs> So you tell the simple truth. You know, I love these meetings because I notice how much I laugh. The joy of living is our theme. Cut this crap out where it's like a funeral. When you go to your meetings, when you're sad, man. We're giving an opportunity for a lifestyle that we've been looking for all our lives and finally find. It's magnificent, joyous. Next question. It's so joyous it seems like you might actually start to shed a tear in a moment. No, I'm just... I can't believe it. First of all, I can't believe I'm still alive. Two weeks, I'll be 81. God has a sense of humor. And if he's a damn punishing God, how the hell am I alive this long? I think that Sona had a follow-up question from Iran. You might want to try turning off your video, Sona, so that we can hear you while you're, while you're asking the question. Yes, yes. It would be better, yes. I, it didn't cross my mind. Uh, thank you for giving me a second chance. You know, I wanted to uh, explain a little bit about my situation. You know, uh, I was sober around four years, but four months ago, I slept. Uh, and so 
uh, and before that, I was actually um, uh, I was attending SA meetings, but I didn't have SA uh, sponsor. I was going on with my CODA sponsor. And after my relapse, uh, I took everything seriously. It was so shocking for me. I decided to take it seriously. So uh, actually, I'm newly uh, come newly to I'm new to program uh, SA program. Uh, and the only problem, the only issue I have is to be lusted after. I don't have any source of uh, uh, other forms of lust uh, problems uh, uh, because of, uh, it goes back to my life. It, it, it's, it's a long story because I uh, came to know about sex too late in life uh, and I don't have any problem. Uh, um, I'm a trauma um, victim, and uh, and afterwards it happened to me, and I uh, had these compulsive uh, sexual behaviors. So um, uh, the only uh, uh, thing that causes problem for me is to get attention, to ha- uh, to uh, be in the center of attention. Uh, so w- when I come to uh, mixed groups, um, uh, not mixed uh, uh, meetings, mixed WhatsApp groups or like that, uh, then it, someone appears on my um, screen. Uh, I, I tried blocking them uh, many times, but uh, I was familiar with one of them, and I started chatting. And then, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, my situation is like I'm running around, scared of my shadow. Uh, uh, when I uh, consult with my sponsor, she says you shouldn't be at all a member of these uh, such uh, groups. Uh, you shouldn't attend even mixed meetings. Uh, but I don't know what to do, actually. Thank you for listening to me. Sona brings up a wonderful topic that has nothing to do with her question. It's the concept of surrender. It's especially a problem I find in certain neighborhoods, certain areas, and in the Middle East. It's the concept of not struggling versus surrendering. So once you ask your, do not ask, this is for everyone, do not ask your sponsor a question if you're not willing to surrender and do exactly what the sponsor says. Unless they tell you something so crazy that could run in front of a bus or something, you know. No, but until we learn to surrender and the sponsor is the first place we learn it, they're not gone, they don't have all the answers, but I win when I surrender. Even when my sponsor has told me a wrong answer, I know it's wrong. I still do it and I've won. This I've surrendered. Now, if you 
if people can't surrender when they ask a question to their sponsor, they're not going to be easily able to surrender to their disease of saying, I can't trust you, my thinking. So I don't ask my sponsor everything. I don't say, sponsor, should I quit my job? Should I get a new job? Should I move to Florida? Shouldn't I move to Florida? But anything I ask, no matter what he says, I do. And if I cannot get a hold of him, I call one of my sponsees and I ask them a que the question and I surrender to their answer. We cease to fight anybody or anything, anyone. I get a little passionate about this, okay? Why do I do it? Because I'm the guy who gets all these calls that my sponsor has taught me how to handle. The first thing I say to the people who call me, have you asked your sponsor this question? If they say no, I say, then why are you asking me? Go ask him first so he gets to know you. If they say, yes, I have asked my sponsor, then I say, and what has your sponsor told you? Then they say it, and then I say, and have you done what he says? <laughs> I get the calls because people don't want to surrender. They want to get a, a second opinion so they can finally find the opinion they want. I love watching you all smile. I mean, between Dominic and Mark and Dan, I mean, you guys, <laughs> it's just saying these smiles are wonderful. I tend to evet, I tend to have a tendency to cut through all the bullshit. Okay? This that's what I am. I'm an addict. I make bullshit up to myself. It's called to rationalize a rational lie. Next question. Uh, yeah, this is from, uh, we've got a question from Mitch. Go ahead, Mitch. I'm in trouble hey, Harvey. <laughs> Mitch is a sponsor of mine. <laughs> oh, well, you actually, you actually just uh, kind of ruined the question. I, I, uh, I was going to avoid saying that you're my sponsor because it is a question about sharing with your sponsor. Uh, just following up on the last question. First of all, thank you so much for doing these. Sorry, I haven't gotten to too many of them. I, I really um, just, you know, scheduling. But um, I'm very grateful I got here today and for all of you being here. Um, so 
you know, I'm grateful that you made that distinction between, um, you know, what do, what do I talk to my sponsor about? You know, if and and I think I I kind of um, I may have um, instinctively done what you're suggesting, which is if I'm not ready to su- surrender something, I'm not calling you up and saying. I was going to say my sponsor without anybody knowing who my sponsor is, but since you blew the whistle anyway, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to call you and say, you know, I'm lusting on the subway. Uh, what do I do? When, if you tell me don't take the subway, which you have actually, uh, I'm not going to do it. So my question though is, I, I feel as a sponsor um, that I, it's important that I also know where my sponsees are at any given time. Um, I, I don't know if the question is how would I, or would I share with my sponsor? This is where I'm at, you know, this is what's going on and I don't want to do anything about it. Or I'm, or I know what you're going to tell me and I don't want to do it. So just letting you know where I'm at. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a question there. Cause I feel like that's the answer, isn't it? Just let my sponsor know. Uh, and if your sponsor happens to be a guy who wants to tell you what to do anyway, they'll they'll tell me. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I guess really the question is, do I do I let my sponsor know, even though I know I'm not ready to change anything, where I'm at? Okay, Mitch is a great example of the part in the big book that says God does for me. What I can't do for myself, he did for Mitch what Mitch couldn't do for himself. COVID has stopped Mitch from using the subway a lot. (laughs) How long have you been at home now, Mitch? (laughs) I'm always talking about... Don't expect God to do for you what you can do for yourself, but that's what he can't do for himself. And we you laugh about it. Um, what happens is that sponsors get a bad shake. They get all the crap of all the important, in quotes, people in your past life. It's called transference. They become like authoritarian figures. And then you get frightened of sharing with them. Like saying, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do that. That's part of sharing. So what happens is people forget why their sponsor is working with them. Because the sponsor is so sick, he needs a lot of medication like I do. So I need a lot of sponsees. So the sponsor is being helped to stay sober by the sponsee. But instead, the sponsor gets put into this magic authoritarian position where we get frightened of what he's going to say. Also, 
sponsees have this wonderful ability to read other people's minds. So they automatically know your response before you're even allowed to give it. So many of my sponsees said, will say, God, I wasn't expecting that response, Harvey. Because hopefully I'm not giving the response. As Jess says, we need God with skin. The prayer of St. Francis, the 11th step prayer, we are channels. So God just is using other people, the sponsees, the sponsors, we're all being used to hear God talk through them. So I want to tell you the story I've once t I've told my old sponsor, Cherry. We were at an AA meeting. This goes back like 30 years ago. And this drunk comes in, drunk and messed up. And from the um, shelter. And he shares something. And then we never see him again. And two weeks later, I'm driving in the car with my sponsor. And he starts quoting what this drunk said from two weeks before. And I said, Cherry, how can you remember what this guy, he was drunk, he was from a shelter. How can you remember what he said? And he said, I never know who God's going to pick at a meeting to talk through. So I have to hear every word everyone says at a meeting. We are vessels. And what do I have to give my sponsees? Whenever I try to be a life manager, I mess up. When I give my sponsees my experience, strength, and hope, meaning how I had to deal with it, then they have a chance of hearing some stuff. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.